Well, we've been teaching for the past few weeks on work, the whole idea of being in business, the whole idea of why we're here. Most of our life is made up of work. Yeah, I've never taught a series, I've never taught a sermon uh, like this, like we've been doing on this whole idea of work. And today I'm going to finish this up. And the issue that's on my heart is, is what it's all for. Why do we work? Why do we have to work? Where does that come from? And uh, I also believe that there's work in heaven, uh, that we won't be floating on a, uh, on a puffy cloud all day playing harps. Uh, that would never satisfy our spirit. Our spirit longs to work, and our spirit needs to be productive. It needs to, to do things, needs to accomplish things. And if your spirit's in heaven, you're going to want to be doing something. And Jesus talked about different levels of responsibility that are giving, given to us based on what happens down here. And I think that's, that's about work. We find out when we first start looking at this whole issue of work that when God had Adam in the, in the garden, he gave him dominion over everything, everything that the, he had created. That dominion is a drive. It's in you. That need to accomplish something, that need to own something, that need to build, there's a compulsion that's in your spirit that actually comes from God. God has the same compulsion. He has the same need to build, same need to grow something, and uh, he's a builder, and uh, that's, we're a splice of his heart, we're created in his image, so that same work ethic is in you, and uh, he gave Adam uh, responsibility to keep the garden. That's, that's uh, a thing called delegation, and, and, and God, in a sense, didn't need Adam to do that, but Adam had a need for it. He needed to be committed to doing something, and that's in you. We can see it in people when those, uh, that need for dominion and delegation gets hijacked by our flesh. The two, two directions that our flesh takes that need for dominion, to build something, to accomplish something. Uh, two ways that we can see where it's hijacked is that if it's taken in either extreme, where it's taken into a place where you're dominating, where you have to own people and you have to, uh, it's your way or the highway, and that, that uh, sense of domination is dominion taken to an extreme. The other direction, of course, is the thing called sloth or laziness, where it kills that, that God-given desire to do something. And we see people who just have no ambition, no desire, they don't build anything, they're a vacant lot, nothing's growing. Well, it's because their flesh has taken over and has taken dominion of them. Paul, he got among these Gentiles, brand new believers, who are coming out of paganism, who spent most of their time laying around, uh, they even spoke of themselves. They wrote a poem about how lazy they were, how the Cretans were uh, slow bellies and lazy. lazy. And he said, that's, that's true. That's, that would describe them. He said uh, they would spend their, their lives just laying about listening for the latest thing. That's like being on YouTube or, 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 or being on the latest, hearing the latest sound. They just want to live a life for momentary pleasure rather than accomplishing something. So he wrote them. And I'm going to read these uh, out of the, uh, today's Living Bible. And it says, um, this should be your ambition. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, brand new Christians. 
This should be your ambition. So we'll take it as our ambition this morning. This should be your ambition to live a quiet life, minding your own business, doing your own work or working with your own hands, just as I told you before. As a result, people who are not Christians will trust and respect you, and you will not need to depend on others for enough money to pay your bills. So the idea is we want to be in dominion. We want to own our own businesses. We want to be managers of other people's businesses. We want to make things work in part because it's part of our witness down here. We want that to, to be balanced. We want that to be wholesome because uh, we don't want to be dependent. We don't want to have to rely on other people. That's what happens when our flesh hijacks that need for dependency. You just want to live off of other people. And uh, I don't know anyone here who feels that way, but there are lots of people in the world. That's their thinking. That's their mindset. And that need for dominion has been squashed. It's been snuffed out. And they'll never feel fulfilled or whole until they're actually operating the way God created them. There's a time in the world called the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages were dark because they were spiritually dark. The Bible was chained to some pulpit, rarely open, rarely read. The average person couldn't hold a Bible, couldn't read a Bible, weren't allowed to read. It wasn't legal to even have the Bible in your own language. And it created about 900 years from the Roman Empire when it ended right up to the Reformation, a period called the Dark Ages. And it was dark. It was spiritually dark. Then all of a sudden, there's a Reformation where Martin Luther translated the Bible, got it in the hands of people, ordinary people. Wycliffe in England, he got the Bible going in English. And next thing you know, came a period called the Renaissance period, where all of a sudden there's light and creativity and brand new music that had never been heard. All the, all the great music that we think of as the classic music all came out of that Renaissance period. Art came out of that Renaissance period. Inventions came out of that Renaissance period. It's almost like as soon as their spirit got in touch with the creator again, they started being creative. They started working, and a whole new work ethic emerged where people wanted to create things. They wanted to do things that had never been done before. All kinds of inventions were released, and that led right up until what's called the Industrial Revolution, where all of a sudden, they're producing on a massive scale factories and, and uh, industry and, and steam engines and all kinds of things came out of that Renaissance period. And what it was was man's spirit was set free to be the way God created us to be. You were, create to, you were created to build something. You'll never be happy unless you own it or you're in charge of it. You're responsible for it. That's in you from God. That's why you feel like, oh, I got this idea. If I can just get this thing built and get some people to manage that. Oh, I got this idea over here. That, that, that comes from the Lord initially. 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, If anyone doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his household, he's denied the faith. So it, this whole thing of... Wanting to provide for our own. That's, that's part of our work ethic. We want to provide for our own. I think where it can go to an extreme 
is where you don't want to have to rely on the Lord anymore. And there's people who have a, a desire to work for two reasons, well, maybe three reasons. One is they don't want to have to rely on the Lord to provide. They want to be able to provide for themselves. I think that's an extreme. I think uh, the exercise of faith is the highest thing that we can do down here. The second thing is, is that uh, if you listen to too many podcasts and read too many books about success, after a while you get this whole idea that if you're successful, there's some kind of applause from man that you'll be lauded, you'll be uh, uh, thought of as a successful person. And that, that personal aggrandizement, that, could, that can lead you into destruction. I have seen it do that, where it just becomes too much. The reason we're working is no longer to live a quiet life and provide for our own. It's to get kudos from other people and applause from other people. That's a, that's a deadly thing that will lead to destruction. I forgot what the third one was. Forgive me if my mind lost that. But I think a real reason we need to work is because of our witness. And if you want to turn with me, you can put this on the screen. Uh, Romans 12, verse 11 Paul's writing to the Romans and uh, putting, laying in, again, these are Gentiles, he's laying in some powerful things uh, for them. The New King James Version, which should show up on the wall behind me, says, not, li not lagging in diligence. God wants you to be diligent. He wants you to be a hard worker. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. This is a powerful, powerful concept. It's almost like uh, there's this tension. He's got this tension going. Uh, the, the King James Version, the way I learned this verse, is not, says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's almost like if you're fervent in spirit, you're no good for business. There are people who, you know, they say, well, he's too heavily minded to be any earthly good. He's focused on spiritual things, and therefore he's not very good at, you know, being responsible in the workplace. Then there's people who give themselves, they're diligent in their business, and they're no longer on fire. They're no longer fervent in spirit. They're so focused on their business that they don't have a prayer life, they don't read the Bible, they're not showing up for, for meetings, they don't, they're not part of a small group. And so these two things have to be somehow held in some kind of balance that you can be on fire spiritually and be in business, be diligent in your work, be diligent, be a good worker. I think the way to keep those things in balance is by serving the Lord, making him Lord. If Jesus is the Lord, that's the final part of this verse, if Jesus is the Lord, he will lead you to be a hard worker because he was a hard worker. But he was also spiritual. And he, he found that balance of being on fire, and yet he was a hard worker. You can't read the Gospel of Mark without seeing that Jesus is going here and he's going there, and suddenly he's going over here. He's being pulled in a lot of different directions. He's a goer. He's a worker. But then he also took time aside. He would take time, and they would look for him. They couldn't find him. There's all kinds of work to be done, but they couldn't find him because he's off somewhere seeking his father and being with his father and spending time with his father. And that's, that's a powerful picture. 
And we want to be like Jesus, of having that balance of being a hard worker, yet spiritual at the same time. The only way to do that is to submit it to the Lord and let Jesus be actually the Lord of your business. If you burn out and your business and your, your spiritual life is, is vacant and you're driving yourself right into the ditch, Jesus is not Lord. Jesus can't be Lord. If he was Lord, there'd be balance. So the way to keep those two things, that tension proper, is by serving him as the Lord, and you become the bondservant. There's lots of different translations. Uh, it'd be good for you to look that verse up uh, in lots of different translations. Paul wrote to Titus in, in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and this is my para paraphrase. He said, urge employees to obey their employers and try their best to work diligently for them. They must not talk back nor steal from the job, but must show themselves entirely trustworthy because their witness, uh, because of their witness, others will want to believe in our Savior and God. This whole thing of not stealing from work, not talking back, uh, they're powerful, powerful pieces to the witness. A lot of people steal from work. A lot of people take things and they, if you know, we expect to bring it back someday, it happens. And it wrecks our witness. It wrecks our credibility. We're no longer trustworthy. Last Sunday, I, I taught about, uh, uh, while well, I've been teaching about integrity, and then I was teaching about uh, this whole thing of just being honest in the workplace and uh, delegation where you're given things to do. And uh, I, I taught on, and a number of people came to me after thinking that I was preaching to them and telling them that they need to step up in that area. And I wasn't. I wasn't thinking of, of anyone in particular. It was just a good sermon to preach, something we need to hear. But it reminded me of a sermon that Charles Finney preached. He preached about taking other people's tools and borrowing them and not returning them. And the next morning, he heard all this clanging and banging, and people were throwing all kinds of tools over his fence into his backyard. His whole backyard was littered with things that didn't belong to him, but people thought that he was preaching to them, and they all had stuff in their shops that belonged to other people, and so they're throwing it over his fence. That's good preaching. I'm not shooting for anybody. I really think that we spend so much of our life down here working, we should maybe see what the Bible says about it. It's important. I want you to be a powerful witness. Um, one of the concerns that go with this whole thing of work and business is when we make it something that it was never intended to be. For example, there's this American concept, and it's, it's not just in America, it's other countries as well, but it's really here big time. The idea is you work flat out now, forget your family, forget your, your spiritual life, you just give yourself, because there's this whole thing that if I can just do this for a while longer, I can retire, then I can spend all kinds of time with my family, and I can spend all kinds of time serving the Lord and doing my spiritual life. And it's this retirement, postponing, postponing uh, pleasure 
and, and priority because business is, there's a demand on me right now, I'm just gonna give myself to it and then I'll be able to do those things in the future. And one of the things we find out is that concept of retirement, which is basically, I'm gonna live a life of leisure, I'll be able to do what I want, my time will be my own. That's a pipe dream. Very, very few people really get to experience that. And many of the people who I know who have tried, they lived, they set it up that way. When they get there, they don't really like it because their spirit still needs to be in dominion. Their spirit still needs to have something delegated to them. A life of leisure is an empty life. You won't like it. A balanced life, now that's a life. And uh, I think we should look at that. We gotta be careful. This whole thing of success is sometimes success, our, our drive for success is to get kudos and get applause from people. That's an empty life as well. Nothing more empty, nothing more hollow than the applause of people. The idea of getting rich, and there's quite a bit in the Bible about getting rich, and uh, there's some warnings about it. Yet at the same time, the Lord wants us to prosper, and he wants us to uh, have a degree of wealth. There's no mistaking. The scripture is really clear on that. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But what if you're already rich? What if you got your family, you got your health, you got your integrity, it's all intact, plus you're able to fulfill that desire to be in dominion and have something and build something and have something to show for your life, you're rich. You're already rich. You don't need a carrot in front of you to, get, to motivate you. You're already rich. You're richer, most of us in this room, in fact, probably all of us in this room, including the two teenagers, are richer than the kings of the last century. You're already rich. Paul said, if you have food and clothing, and that word clothing implies a house. You're, 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 you have it. You're already there. To enjoy that, to have the privilege to be able to enjoy that, now that takes some kind of spiritual commitment to be able to enjoy that. Tell the person next to you, just elbow them and say, you're, our, you're richer than a king. You're richer than a king. Anyone who's gone on mission trips to the third world and come back and you hug your toilet because you have one, you're richer than the king. A lot of people don't have them. The way we me measure success, the way we measure riches is different. It's different from other people. It has to be different. We know how to, how to trust the Lord for his provision. We can have faith in him and fulfill the dreams that are in our hearts, the ambitions of our heart. That's, that's real success. Here's, here's something that Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. He said, but godliness with contentment. I'll come back to contentment, give you a good definition of contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content that they who are uh, but but they who uh, will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which some having coveted after have erred from the faith 
and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He's talking about what he saw in the church, what he saw even among Christian people. That our focus can go off into a, a kind of focus on, on riches and on money that actually will lead you into destruction, that will ruin your life. Perdition, the word perdition means a waste. What you don't want to do is stand at the end of your life and say that whole swath was a waste. You never want to do that. You want to be able to stand at the end of your life when time is up and, and look back, even at this stage of your life, and be able to look back and say, that was truly worthwhile. I kept my integrity. I have my family. I have my health. Anytime you have to trade your health, your family, or your integrity to get wealth, you've already lost. You've already lost. You've already led into it. You've been, you've been hijacked, going in the wrong direction. Contentment, the best definition of contentment I've ever come across is self-imposed gratification, self-imposed satisfaction, where you decide in yourself, okay, I've had a, I, I have enough. I'm satisfied. I can, I'm going to step back. I'm going to enjoy this. For you to work hard in business and then be able to go to, and spend time in a deer stand or take a trip and actually enjoy it, and, and be able to get in the sun and, and cut back and relax and actually unstring your bow, you're a rich man. He wants you to be able to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that leads to a balanced life. Jesus led a balanced life. He was able to strike that balance. But he asked two questions, I think, that are pertinent. He said, for what profit... Again, it's profit. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? There's no margin. There's no profit. His second question is, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? There, there are weighty questions that we should take to heart. We should take those questions, put them on the dash of our truck, put them on our refrigerator, put them above the kitchen sink, wherever you can look at it, and get, that, get those questions down in your heart. They will keep your life balanced, keep your life centered. That's what Jesus was able to accomplish. And, and just so we're not talking just about men here, I challenge the ladies in this, in this room Read Proverbs 31 again, but don't think of it as just tied to being a housewife. It really isn't that. She's out buying fields. She's out negotiating for, for the best price on things. She's making sure, and, and she's such an amazing witness how, who, whose life was in balance. Uh, I just read it again yesterday, and it's just such a profound study. Uh, I, I don't think it's a demeaning thing to be a housewife by any means. That is hard work. Uh, and that's something that Heather and I decided at one point in time. We decided that, that I would be the sole breadwinner for the house, which meant that normally at that phase of our life, usually both people worked and the kids had babysitters. And we decided, why pay a babysitter to look after our kids? And we made this major decision that, that she was going to stay home with the kids and raise the kids, and, and I would have one job. And one job that I, I purposed, I would never work overtime and I'd never work Saturdays. And I'd be home every evening to be with the kids. That was part of my commitment. And uh, that meant that we didn't have, for the longest time, we didn't drive a car that was in the same decade. 
or even the same century maybe. But, but it meant we didn't have a new car for the longest time. And it meant we couldn't take expensive vacations. And we had relatives who farmed their kids out for someone else to raise, and they were able to uh, go on these expensive jaunts in different places and cruises and stuff like that. For us, we just thought someday that'll be available for us. But right now, this is our priority. And uh, we saw how hard work that was. Uh, but we have no regrets. We look back at that time as an amazing time. I'd like to read two sections of scripture. Uh, I wish I had time to read more. I'm not a very good reader, but there's a powerful section in Isaiah 65, verses 21 to 25, that talks about building and growing and being able to taste it and actually enjoy. And there's a line in here that, that the goal is to, to long enjoy the work of your hands. I think you're successful if you love what you do. I think you've, you've already been successful if you just love your work. Because there are so many people who hate their jobs, hate their boss, hate what they're doing, hate how they're spending their time. They, they live for weekends. They live for vacations. That's an empty way to go. I think, I think the most fulfilling thing is this, if you can't, you wake up every morning and, and you just want to go to work to see what you create, problems that you solve, see how far you can get this thing, see what you, how you can grow it. I think that's of God. I think that's a godly thing. I'm going to read two sections of scripture found in Ecclesiastes. And these are both in today's Living Bible, so they're not going to show up on the screen behind you. But listen, sit back and listen to these. Listen to these verses. Solomon wrote, What does one really get from hard work? I've thought about this in connection with all the various kinds of work that God has given to mankind. Everything is appropriate in its own time. But through God, uh, but though God has planted eternity in, our heart, in the hearts of men, even so many cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I conclude that first, there's nothing better for a man than to be happy and enjoy himself as long as he can. And second, that he should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of his labors, for these are a gift of God. What a profound thing to come out. He says that this whole idea of eternity, it's God-given. He's put that in your heart. We know this life is a past. It's a by. This is not it. Everyone knows that we're working a very limited scale here because this is not the real life. But then he says, you know, what I, I think this is all about, I think you ought to enjoy your time down here. I think you ought to enjoy the work. of So much of our life is working. What if you got to enjoy that? and actually enjoy the fruit of your labor. If you've worked hard and you want to take time to go on a, a, a trip out west and shoot some big game or go find a trout stream someplace, I think that's entirely appropriate. I think that's a way to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Or buy, buy new equipment, something that you actually really enjoy. Uh, Phil went this this fall, got a, one of the latest brush hogs, just a masterful piece of equipment that could take down a tree and just mulch it in seconds. He had more fun out here on the side hill one afternoon, just just mulching everything, everything he came to. He just 
killed it, just crunched it. And he was just having a ball. I just think, I think we should buy him one of those things. I think he should get one of those as part of the fruit of his labor. There's nothing like having a, a skid steer. There's nothing like having, someone one time I was going through a hard time and, and they dropped off this bobcat that had a digger on the front and a, and a blade on the back and they left it for the summer for me. And I made roads and took out stumps and it was therapeutic beyond anything I could imagine. I could go skinny dipping at the end of the day just in a nice, cool stream, and my wife, she was upset about that. She thought someone f might find me. But I felt like a kid again. I hear I'm out, out there riding in heavy equipment, which I'd never even used before. I'd never sat in one before. And here I am out there building roads, and it got hot, and I'll tell you, nothing more pleasurable than skinny dipping, <laughs> if you can do it without getting caught. Now I'm red-faced, aren't I? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. The, again, today's living translation. Listen to this. Well, one thing at least, well, one thing at least is good. It is for a man to eat well, to drink a good glass of wine, accept his position in life, and enjoy his work, whatever his job may be, for however long the Lord may let him live. And of course, it's very good if a man has received wealth from the Lord and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and to accept your law in life, that indeed is a gift from God. The person who does that will not need to look back with sorrow on his past for God gives him joy. I think the goal, folks, is to be able to look back on your life and have no regrets. You didn't sacrifice your integrity. You didn't sacrifice your family. You didn't give up your health in exchange for wealth. There are people who are working for health insurance and lose their health working for health insurance. I'll tell you, that's a total ripoff. What if we got to look back and say, that was a good run. I felt fulfilled. I think that's the goal. Keeping things in balance, living a balanced life, having something left over at the end of the day to give to your family, that it wasn't all spent on the job, all spent for customers. Because you know there's no end to customers and there's no satisfying all the customers that are out there. You have to find something, some other way of measuring success. Amen, let's stand together. What are you giving in exchange for your life? Where's the profit for all the hard work that you put into? Where's, where's the profit? That's Jesus is asking. What's the, where's the margin in this thing? That's a profound question. Why don't we close our eyes? We take out a few minutes. Let's do business with God. Why don't you pray? So, Lord, I, my flesh wants to drive this thing and wants to take it in extremes. My spirit wants to do things in balance. God, help me. Help me to find a balance. I don't want to be running from job to job and have nothing left over for you. 
for my family to enjoy life. God, help me. Help me to strike a balance. Jesus, you did it. You're in business for yourself, and yet you're spiritual and godly. Help me to find that, biz- that balance, oh God. Jesus, become Lord. Help me to take all my direction from you. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I want to hear from you. I, w- I want you to be able to correct me whenever I go off into an extreme. back on this life with no regrets. That it was time well spent. Help me to help me to be able to say that. Father bless us with balance. In the name of Jesus.